morning. We are filming this morning's worship service at beautiful Lake Lanier. It is an idyllic setting, and the reason we're here is because our gospel lesson this morning takes place on a lake. It's hard to imagine, uh, given that it is such an idyllic setting, that the context for this morning's gospel lesson really wasn't idyllic. It probably looked a little bit like Lake Lanier. It probably um, was nice, calm water without all the deciduous trees, definitely without the car, car traffic noise, but, um, but water is so elementally soothing to us. And that's why we seek out water for picnics and for vacations and for times of recreation like swimming and boating. Water is just very soothing. And in this morning's gospel lesson, Jesus seeks out water, gets on a boat with his disciples, and he's really seeking some peace and quiet. He, um, he has just learned some really terrible news. He has learned that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded. The disciples are exhausted because they have just gotten back from mission. So they are really just bone tired. And Jesus just wants to gather them and to get out onto the water and, and enjoy some peace, of, peace and quiet. That's not what happens. We'll talk more about that in a little bit, but uh, the crowds are following along on the banks of the river and, and Jesus stops to teach them and talk with them and feed them. But he's not in a place where he's feeling energetic. He's tired and he's sad. Um, and sometimes when people come to see me and they have everything that they ever thought they ever wanted, but they're still not happy, I remember this particular text because I, I think you can have an idyllic setting but still uh, have a troubled heart. And that is where we find Jesus and his disciples this morning. So here we are at Lake Lanier, and I hope that you will find this service of worship meaningful. It is good to be with you. Thanks for joining us this morning. Will you join me in reading responsively our call to worship this morning? God of our hopes and dreams, we are empty and long to be filled. We are hungry and long to be fed. We are lost and long to be found. Gather us up into your love and pick up the pieces of our lives, just as Jesus gathered up the fragments of the five loaves and two fish that remained after feeding the 5,000. Call us anew to find our true nourishment in Jesus, the bread of heaven. Amen.
And so the disciples tell Jesus, we don't have enough food. And Jesus says, well, just share what you have and it will be enough. And it was. And I got to thinking about that. I was thinking about what I have in my purse and how it doesn't look like there's enough stuff in my purse to do anything. I was thinking about how I have always paper and a pencil in my purse. And paper and a pencil, you know, you guys are getting ready to go to school and your backpacks are full of paper and pencils and pens. And paper and pen don't really look like very much, but with one pencil and one piece of paper, think about all the stuff you can do. You can write a letter to somebody that will make their heart happy. You can do a math problem and figure out how much money you have to spend or uh, you can draw a beautiful picture. So you can do a lot with two simple things, a piece of paper and a pencil. And then I have my phone. Now I have something really shocking to tell you this morning. Do you know that people used to have phones that were only phones? Like that's all they could do is they could make a call or take a call on their phone. That's all their phone did. But now, phones do a lot. I mean, it looks like a little simple rectangle of glass and metal, but with my phone, I can have a flashlight, I can have a clock, I can have an alarm clock, I can have a calculator and do math with that, I can play music, I can take pictures, I can take video, I can call people, I can actually see their faces when I talk to them on the phone. I mean, I can order stuff from, from a company, I can do all sorts of things with my one tiny little rectangle of, of glass and metal. In my car, I could walk down to my car, I could pull one little thing out of the engine. It wouldn't look like very much, but my car doesn't work without it. So. A lot of times we have things that look like they're not very much, but they can do a whole lot. Now, the disciples, when Jesus said, go ahead and share what you have and it will be enough, they believed him because they knew they could trust him. Um, sometimes we feel like we don't have enough, enough stuff, or, or you know, we might feel like a situation is too challenging for us, but Jesus says just, Give what you have and it will be enough. And because we can trust him, we can offer what we have and trust him to make it make a difference. Thanks for joining me this morning at beautiful Lake Lanier. Blessings to you. Let us pray. Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone. Let the heavenly food of the scripture we are about to hear Nourish us today in the ways of eternal life, through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson this morning is found in the 32nd chapter of Genesis, beginning with the 22nd verse. The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket 
and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning is found in the 14th chapter of Matthew's gospel, beginning with the 13th verse. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled, and they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. I recently reread Michael Pollan's extraordinary book, The Omnivore's Dilemma, which culminates with this beautiful chapter titled The Perfect Meal. It's almost sacramental in its language. He describes a dinner party in this particular chapter in which he invites friends and, and prepares this meal that required all summer to plan and to pull together thanks to the fact that Pollen insisted upon hunting and gathering every single thing for this meal. From gathering exotic mushrooms to picking fruit off trees overhanging public land to making his own yeast for the bread, Pollen sought to create a meal that was free from barcoded, mass-produced, and mass-distributed food. A meal that took a lot of different hands to bring to the table, but mostly those hands that were actually at the table. At times in its preparation, Colin worried that this endeavor was just too elaborate, too ambitious, especially on the day of the dinner party. He writes this, In reality, the day was a blizzard of harried labors, missed ingredients, unscheduled spills and dropped pots, unscheduled trips to the store, 
unscheduled pangs of doubt and throes of second-guessing. At times he really wondered why he was going to all the trouble, although he answered his own question by saying this, this meal was my way of thanking these people, and the amount of thought and effort I put into the meal reflected the precise depth of my gratitude. In preparing the food, he found that unpossessing parts of things combined into what promised to be greater and more delectable wholes. Similarly, when his guests gathered, all of them found the experience to be more than just the sum of its parts. Most of Pollen's guests that evening were at first strangers to one another, united only by the fact that they knew Michael, they knew their host. Over the course of the evening, the conversation steadily gained altitude until finally they sat down to the meal, which became a wordless way of saying grace in that every item of the meal pointed to somewhere else. Telling a story about nature or about community or even the sacred. Pollen said that the meal fed them body and soul. The meal marinating in the words and the memories and the stories that gave it its savor. The perfect meal, he concluded, is a way to honor the group of guests that you have elected to call, uh, honor the group of people that you have elected to call your guests. Now, it is interesting how in the Bible, eating together and experiencing the presence of the holy come together. God honors his guests and we honor our host. It may be in saying grace, it may be in the shared vulnerability of conversation. It may be really listening to someone as they tell the truth of their lives. It may be deep gratitude for the meal and those who prepared it. It may be awe that our creator made things of such exquisite taste and texture. It may be that it is only the time we sit down for a meal that we slow down in our day with food and fellowship that does nourish our souls. Sometimes the meal is planned and sometimes it is not. One of my favorite stories about this text comes from Quaker theologian Parker Palmer. The story takes place in that time long ago, fast receding from memory, when there were no security lines at airports. There was no electronic screening and you could carry pretty much whatever you wanted into your briefcase or purse onto the plane. And Palmer was on a flight from Chicago's O'Hare Airport to Denver that pulled away from the gate and taxied and taxied and taxied for a long time. You know what that is like. You look out the window and you're not near a runway, you're not in line to take off, but you're in a remote corner of the airport looking at a chain link perimeter fence and your heart sinks because the engines wind down. And the pilot came on the intercom and said, I have some bad news. There's a big storm brewing in the west, exactly where we are headed. Denver is sucked in and shut down, and there are no alternatives, so we're just gonna have to sit here for a few hours. That's the bad news. The really bad news is that there's no food on board. Now, the story is from that blessed time long ago when there was real food on board and passengers actually looked forward to a nice tray of real food with cloth napkins and actual silverware. 
Well, as you can imagine, everybody on the plane groaned. Some passengers got really angry. But then Parker Palmer, Palmer said that one of the flight attendants stood up in the aisle and took the mic. We're really sorry here, folks. We didn't plan it this way and we can't do anything about it. We know that for some of you, this is a big deal. Some of you have a medical condition and you really need to eat. Some of you may not care. So I have an idea. We have a couple of empty bread baskets up here and, and we're gonna pass them around. Everybody puts something in the basket. I know that some of you have brought a little snack along just in case, peanut butter crackers or candy bars. Some of you have Rolaids or Lifesavers or chewing gum. And if you don't care, if you don't have anything edible, you have a business card or you have a picture of your kids or you have a bookmark. The thing is, I hope everybody puts something into the baskets as they come around and then we'll reverse the process. We will pick up the baskets at the back of the plane and we'll pass them around again and everybody can take out what he or she needs. Well, Palmer said, what happened next was really amazing. First, the complaining and the griping just stopped. People started to root around in their pockets and their handbags and their briefcases some of them stood up and retrieved luggage from the overhead racks and got out boxes of candy. And one person brought out a salami and, and um, people brought out cheese and crackers and even a bottle of wine in the day you could actually do that. And now people were laughing and talking. The flight attendant had transformed this group of anxious people focused on their need and their deprivation and their scarcity into a gracious community that was now sharing and in the process of creating an abundance of sorts. Well, the flight eventually took off and eventually landed. And as he stepped off the plane, Parker Palmer found the flight attendant and said, you know, there's a story in the Bible about what you did. And she said, I know that story. That's why I did it. It is a much loved story. In the early Christian church, when the community gathered under the cover of darkness to break bread and drink wine and remember Jesus, they always read this story about the day that he fed the multitude with five loaves and two fish. To this day, this is a central text about what biblical generosity looks like. They didn't start with a lot, but when they were done, they had more than they started with. What strikes me every single time about this story is the context. Jesus has learned that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded. He wants to get away. He wants to process his loss with all of its brutal details. And so the text says that he withdraws in a boat to, to a deserted place. It's kind of what you do when you receive devastating news. In addition to his personal grief, there was now certainly a heightened sense of vulnerability. That's what happens when you offend real power. But the crowd had been following him and they'd been listening to hear him, listening to him teach. They had been bringing their sick to him to be healed. They don't know this has happened, so they follow him along the lake shore. His disciples advise him to send these people away. But he looks at them and sees them like sheep without a shepherd. And he pulls to the shore 
and he spends the afternoon teaching them. Soon it's time for dinner, and again the disciples advise him to send the crowds away so that they can go into town and they can buy dinner for themselves. But Jesus tells the disciples to give them something to eat. Now, the disciples are pretty logical about this. They, they simply don't have enough. Even people who are not very good at math know that two fish and five loaves of bread won't feed 5,000 people. The disciples probably thought that Jesus, grief-stricken by his loss, was just kind of talking nonsense. But when Jesus tells them to offer what they have, the disciples do it. That's how Jesus fed the whole crowd with two fish and five loaves. The disciples gave him the little bit that they had, and he made it enough for everybody. What I like best about this story, I think, is that Jesus didn't hand it out all by himself. In fact, in none of the gospel accounts does he hand it out himself at all. He let his disciples do that, maybe so they would not forget that it was their job to feed the sheep, not to send them away somewhere to fend for themselves, but to keep them together in one place so that they could practice the miracle of Holy Communion together. Well, it's still a miracle, and we are the people God has recruited to hand it out not only to each other, but to everyone who is hungry. I gathered with the people at our church last Saturday when 12 people handed out food that fed 343 people here in Martinsville. Sometimes helping to feed people may be a matter of helping with lunch bunch or taking soup to a friend or a sick neighbor. It may be inviting a new church visitor or guest to dinner. It may mean writing a check to UMCOR or helping at a food bank or, or in some way sharing what you have so that God's abundance can be known. It might not be fancy, but as Michael Pollan writes, the perfect meal is a way to honor the group of people you have gathered to call your guests. To extrapolate every offering that you give, every act of generosity, is a way to honor the people who are fellow guests of our abundant God. Now, there are hundreds of ways to get bread to those who are hungry for it and for the community in which it is shared. All God needs are some disciples who are willing to see what they have and to hand it over to the one who will do the math and who will take and bless and break and give it away, not all by himself, but through his friends, through us, whom he feeds so that we may feed the world in his name. Start where you are, use what you have, do what you can, and because God is with you, it will be enough. Thanks be to God. Amen.
And now let us affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now with the confidence of children of God, let us pray as our Lord has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. of God, to share what you have been given, trusting that God will bless it and make it enough. Amen. <laughs> 